Hey, I'm Kirsty. I'm AJ. We're two besties who grew up next door to each other and we've managed to stay friends even though we have almost nothing in common. So welcome to the How Are We Still Friends podcast, where two opposites look at what life's like on the other side of the fence. All right, AJ, I think it's the episode you've been waiting for. Travel. Something I won't be a Grinch about. (laughs) Something we clearly have very different styles of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember once suggesting for, I think this was another book idea that I go on a trip with you in your travel style and then you come on a trip with me in my travel style. But I think I ultimately realized that in no world could I ever afford or want to pay for (laughs) your kind of a travel style (laughs) when I could get like five holidays out of that on my own. (laughs) There's a reason I travel far less frequently than you do. And it's because I travel in a very different way than you do. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your uh, your planning process when you are deciding on your next trip, AJ. You know, I, I feel like over the, over the last 15 years, it's changed quite a bit because when I first started traveling on my own after school, all I knew was that I wanted to travel and I hadn't been, I mean, I, I had been, I was fairly well traveled when I left school, but I hadn't, there were so many places I hadn't been to. And so I just knew there I wanted to see the whole world. And so my first couple of trips were very much like desire trips, like things that I'd been wanting to see for ages. Like um, I went to Nepal. I did the classic European backpacking trip. I did the South America trip. You know, I, I sort of went to places that I desperately wanted to go to. And then the more I traveled, well, in some ways, the more I traveled, the more people I met and therefore the more people I wanted to see around the world. And so eventually it did kind of morph into the last couple of years before I ended up, you know, before COVID hit um, and I was grounded, I was basically planning my trips on who wanted me to visit them where pretty much. So it was more about the people you were going to see and the destinations were kind of incidental. Yes. I mean, yeah. Like, uh, I won't deny, you know, the the last big hurrah that I did in 2019 before COVID, I I went to Bali because Bali is kind of like an, a must for me. And then I uh, was invited by one of my friends from Bali to go and stay with her at her Belgian chateau, her family castle in Belgium uh, for a month. And uh, I was enticed there. And then once, you know, people found out that I was going, I was invited to um, a friend's apartment. You know, he said, come and stay with me in in Sweden. So it's partly going and staying with people, but I am very much a solo traveler and I do get a little bit nervous about staying with people because I kind of need my own space a lot and I can get really cranky. Um, but a very big enticement there is the fact that this is free accommodation, which means that I can extend my travels much longer um, and sort of really explore places that I wouldn't be able to explore. There's no way I would ever be able to, you know, afford even a hostel bed in Sweden. So (laughs) when someone says, come visit me in Sweden, I go. 
And the same happened. So, I visited a friend in Finland on a, on an invitation that I would have just, it's never a country I would have thought of going to. So it's a bit of a trade-off. So you have a, have a little discomfort in terms of where you stay um, as, as, a, as a trade-off for doing mm. the kind of travel you would like I'm, to do, I'm a staying longer, more, seeing more places. Yeah, I'm a little bit more wary now because I have had friends I stayed with and because I just needed my space and I couldn't get, I was sleeping on the floor in apartments or on couches and I just didn't get that that sort of space that I needed. I got cranky. And so towards the end, I was only accepting invitations. So in the Belgian castle, I had a ginormous room and bathroom all to myself. I mean, I had a whole castle basically, you know, if you had to share, if you had to share a room in a castle, (laughs) I'd be very, very concerned Concerned, what kind of castle it was. Yeah. Yeah. So like in my, in all my castles, my guests don't have to share rooms. So yeah, I'll I'll like visit family. You know, when I, when I go to the UK, I, I sort of pick where I stay based on sort of where I know I'm going to get space. Um, you know, in, in Sweden, this friend gave me his an entire, his entire apartment while he went and stayed with his girlfriend. So like, you know, I was choosing places where I knew I would have my own you know, space. And I had other friends reach out to me and say, come and visit, but it would have been couch visits. And I was just like, at this stage, no, but that was when I was at that part of my traveling life where I was also working. So I knew that, you know, sleeping on a couch in a friend's apartment wasn't going to work for just even for me to be able to actually execute any kind of work. I tell you what, if I'm traveling, there is no way in hell I'm sleeping on a couch or I am... (laughs) sharing a bathroom or anything of bathroom that sharing I'm I'm pretty used to I, it's I'm, I'm not a huge fan but I am in Bali the last time I stayed in Bali I stayed in a place um with it was basically like a share house so I had my own room and uh you know a bathroom was the bathroom was shared but I paid four hundred dollars for the entire month so you know that was my that seems pretty cheap yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I made a dozen friends from everyone who was staying in the house. It was a cold shower. That was a very awful trade-off. Um, Ouch. Yeah, yeah, horrible. But I'm, I'm fairly used to sharing bathrooms and that one's okay. I just can't do it. I, I, <laughs> there's a reason that I travel again less frequently and it's because I do spend a little more money, a little more money when I travel mm-hmm. uh, and it's because I like to travel and be comfortable. Same reason as you, though, I suppose. If I'm around people, I'm going to get cranky. I need my own space. I guess mm. my own space means space with Daniel because we've been together so long. All of the traveling that I've done have has been with him. And I, I think that is a huge thing to note is there is a, a very, very big difference between you and Daniel booking a hotel room somewhere with a bathroom and me like like taking on the entire cost of that hotel room myself of course so it's a less single income versus a double yes. income yeah <laughs> totally, if I could totally afford my own bathroom and bedroom uh, preferably my own suite I a hundred percent would but but the thing is you could if you traveled less or chose to spend more money because I know that you have savings so you technically could afford it but it's about the value you place on that you're willing to go without those things and save the money 
I'm the opposite. I mean, I could, but in, in all honesty though, um, so, so with my kind of travel, um, throughout my twenties, it was a process of saving up $10,000. And then with that $10,000 going, where can I go? So $10,000, this was at a time when I was earning maybe 15 to $18,000 in the entire year. So it was that sort of blissful rent-free moment, you know, of my, of my twenties, um, which obviously helps a lot. Um, and I would save up $10,000 and then I would pick wherever I could go. And, you know, in South America, I was away for five months. Um, I, I almost ran out of money towards the end, um, very close to running out of money. But um, the, you know, I mean, South America was so affordable that in many, many, many places, I was paying $3 a night for a bed in a hostel room. Yes, I could pay $20 a night, maybe or $30 a night in a private uh, room. But then my trip would have maybe been three months instead. And I wouldn't have been able to see half the countries that I saw. I wouldn't have been able, you know, I'm not a whirlwind tour person. I really don't believe in sort of spending one night here, one night there. Um, And so that's, it is a compromise, but honestly, even, even now being in Australia and not really being able to travel, when I look up where I can possibly go, hotel rooms are generally about $300 a night. And that is I normally spend $30 a night. So you can see I'm sitting here going, okay, I can do maybe four weekend getaways (laughs) in a year, weekend getaways, as opposed to months away at a time in other places, you know, a whole month in Bali for that price. Sure, sure. I, I get that. And you do tend to like to go on larger, longer trips. So you said five months was the big one you did in South America. And I think the longest trip I've ever been on was five weeks. And for me, that was my limit. I absolutely (laughs) was ready to be home after five weeks. So I can't imagine five months traveling around without, without visiting home. What was the longest you spent in any one place during those five weeks? During those five weeks, that was that was Europe. So that wasn't very long in any one place, mm. I think, because we we stayed, I think, probably three or four nights in Santorini, three nights in Paris. Mm. We did a cruise. So we were part of that, a big part of that five weeks. Look, I think it was probably 10 days to two weeks was just one day here, one day here, one day yeah. in Montenegro, one day in yeah. Croatia, you know. Yeah. So So there was a lot of one day stops, which I do completely agree with you was not anywhere near long enough to even get the feel of one tiny city, Mm -hmm. let alone the rest of the country. You know, the advantage of that sort of slower form of traveling, you know, so in South America, I spent two weeks in Cusco. I arrived in Cusco in Peru and I was like, I am in love with this city. There is so much to see in the surrounding sacred valley. And so I just kept extending my stay over and over and over again. But then at the same time, you know, I arrived to uh, a hostel in Bariloche in, in Southern Argentina and it rained a lot. And so we were just like, you know, playing cards in the hostel and extending our stay to wait until the rain left or uh I know in uh somewhere in Ecuador I got incredibly sick and so I 
just stayed there much longer until I recuperated. So because of that slower pace, when I could feel myself burning out, I would book longer amounts of time or just keep extending my stay in order to make sure that I had these recuperation periods throughout my travel. Totally. And that's probably important. You, you For you, it's a marathon. For me, it's a sprint. I'm going yeah. as hard as I can for the shorter amount of time that I'm there. I remember, so my first big travel experience was a Kentucky tour of the US <laughs> in 2013. Oh, Kentucky. This is like yep. the difference between AJ and Kirsty right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was my first time. So prior to that, I'd been, you know, to a resort in Fiji. Um, mm-hmm. I'd been to Queensland and done the theme parks, but that had that was all I, that I had done in terms of big trips this was my this was my first big overseas trip as an adult with dens but without real adults to look after us and guide us so instead we went on a Kentucky tour (laughs) and it was it was we had the time of our lives it was so incredibly fun we met some amazing people you know we met some friends who um they lived in Sydney where you know we're still friends with uh, Louie to this day and her gorgeous daughter Charlotte is our goddaughter and I know you're the same you you collect people as you go as well and that's just what it is but we um we on that trip I think we probably slept an average maybe an average of three hours a night for the entire three and a half weeks so we just smashed it out for, for it was it was two and a half weeks of our tour and then we went to Dubai for a couple of days and London for a few days just Daniel and I at the end oh my and god you realize that that isn't really just a stop on the way home right I wasn't really that interested in London to be honest with you but uh when we got there we crashed and we got really really sick for a few days so we actually mm. were doing like bus tours and stuff just exhausted dead uh and then we also did it in I can't remember where but that we do tend to do that now you arrive in a city jump on do a bit of a bus tour and then sort of figure out from there where you want to go although when we got to Amsterdam which was my favorite place in Europe we did a boat tour in the canals instead of a bus tour and that was the most fun the guy told us some crazy stories. Um, he gave us some great recommendations. We had, we got some really good history of the city, you know, a lot of information about the culture. Um, and that was just such a good way to start off our, our time wanna, in that city. I think this is like, I'm curious what you did in Amsterdam. Why? Why are you curious about what we did in Amsterdam? Well, I just, you know, I think it's quite classic with you and me that, uh, when you go to a city, this is an assumption I'm coming off of here, but you have that sort of list of almost like the, the, the lonely planet guide, top 10 kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, something like that, um, that you will go and do. Whereas, uh, well, you know, like in Amsterdam, my memories of Amsterdam are of going to the Anne Frank Museum and the Van Gogh Museum. They're, they're the two things I only really remember doing and the same in New York, just going to the Met and the MoMA and... <laughs> well, I'll have you know, we went to the Anne Frank Museum and I found it really interesting because I really, um, I'm, I'm really interested in World War II in particular, World War II history. So um, that was one of my places I really wanted to go. We also went to the, 
is it the flower museum or the tulip museum perhaps because Louis who we were there with our Sydney friends who we'd met on our Kentucky in America you know four years prior um she's a florist so she wanted to go to the I think it was a tulip museum so we went to that so yeah we went to Amsterdam (laughs) and we went to museums that's totally what we did and that's all that we did you know look 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 I had a pot brownie and went to a sex show is that what you want me to say yeah that was what I was fishing for there (laughs) as someone who has never touched a drug in my life and it was the weirdest night of my life let me tell you It, it felt very it was just wild Listen to me, half a brownie. It's such a do. square. It's what you do in Amsterdam, I suppose. I I definitely did not. I. <laughs> it was I, fun. It was confronting. It was in your face, but I'm glad that I did it for sure. Yeah. It's funny because, like, obviously um, when I have gone on my, my European sort of tours, the backpacking trips, I stayed in hostels. So it was very much like that, that kind of, I mean, the hostels are, well, not anymore, but they were basically just a bunch of Australians looking to get drunk every night. Um, hmm. And I actually, I never understood it. I, you know, it, it's actually kind of the same of what you said with the three hours. I'm sure you weren't getting drunk every night, but the three hours sleep. Of course we were. We were on a, we were on a Contiki with 50 Aussies in America. We were getting smashed every <laughs> single night. <laughs> so I almost never drink when I travel, almost never, because- wow. I have like, when I get in a city, I have a list of what I want to see and do. Like for me, I I think, you know, I get it that with a lot of Australians, it's just a chance to travel as a chance to let loose, you know, but for me, I think there's a difference. I really do think there's a difference between going on a holiday and going traveling. And that's such like a, a sort of, that's a very kind of classic snobby perspective that a lot of people take. But I think when you go traveling, you're going to places with the intention of discovering culture, discovering the food, discovering the history, like to absorb yourself fully in the environment that you're in. Whereas when you're going away on a holiday, it is a a little bit of an escape from escape from work life, you know, sort of normal life, but it also is a lot more a a way to detox. Whereas often I always say when I get back from traveling, I often say I need a holiday to get over that, you know, like I actually need to just go and sit on an island, you know, in a deck chair for two weeks to recover from the experience that I've just had, you know? So yeah, like when I go to any destination, I don't want to be hung over. And the few times that I have been, I have regretted it so, so badly the next day. Look, these days, no, I, I don't go out and drink every night. When I was 25 and it was my first oh, trip, and it was 50 rebel. of us doing it. Of course I was. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so we, we would drink every night. I remember one particular night, <laughs> one particular night we had just arrived in Las Vegas that afternoon and we went to some rooftop bar in a casino and the drinks were free for ladies so you you were just paying tips to the bartender and I don't know how many drinks I had I got lost in a different casino trying to get back to my room because we were (laughs) staying in a casino of course as you do in Las Vegas I mean I wouldn't you know I'd find some kind of like (laughs) desert tent or something to stay in of course you would most people (laughs) so I think we got back to our room at maybe 2 a.m. I booked myself a wake-up call and I'm so glad I did because I was woken up at 5 a.m. by Elvis on the phone 
telling me to get up. Okay. Uh, okay. Still drunk, but we had to get. Oh, I know this. To, story. We were going over, we we're flying over the Grand Canyon in a helicopter. So we get downstairs. There's a limo there waiting to pick us up, which was amazing. We had some food in the limo. We get to the, I don't know, helipad, helipad. place. Yeah. yeah. And um, we paid, Daniel and I paid extra to upgrade to the front seats in the helicopter so that we could see everything, you know, beautifully as we were flying over the Hoover Dam uh, and down into, we were landing in the Grand Canyon. And I think, I don't know what, at what point, but we'd paid all this money for the extra seats and we fell asleep in the front seat of the helicopter this, this as we were flying over like the Grand Canyon. breaks my heart a little bit that story <laughs> so more than tired. a little bit more than a little bit I mean you know look- what though it makes me sad as well and I I it's that definitely sort of changed the way I did things going yeah. forward but but by change the way I did things I just didn't book anything for that early in the morning anymore <laughs> it didn't stop me drinking <laughs> it is funny though like when I think about what I used to be able to handle um there was a definite turning point in my late 20s where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, I sort of think about the fact that I stayed in hostels up and down uh, South America everywhere I went and shared, you know, I remember where there was one place where I was honestly in, oh, that was in Europe, but it was a dorm room of, of like 50 people or something. I had a really great sleep. That was a very strange night. But um, in general, I... I, I, I think I just got hardy. I just sucked it up and managed to travel um, quite well. But then when I actually went to work, um, I, I went, I started working and I felt a little, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous. I felt a little bit of pressure to shorten my, my holidays. And, and my bosses were incredibly lenient with me and allowed me to book they really didn't mind how long I booked for, but I felt bad if I was gone for more than six weeks. So I mm. think sort of the longest holiday or travel that I did when I was at, when I was employed was two months. Um, and I think when it does, when your travel is cut short like that, I start because I was earning a little bit more, I was going to places that were a little bit more expensive. So I was going to North America and I was going to Europe and places like, you know, um, Norway and Iceland and places like that. And um, I, obviously I still could only afford for those, for the duration of those trips, I could still only afford um, hostel rooms. And I just, there were, there were a number of times on those travels where I would be stuck in a room with someone who was snoring and mm. for, for multiple nights and I would be, you know, 3 a.m., I would be in absolute, like, heart, you know, heart-rending tears on the phone to my mom, being like, I am so tired that I I just don't know what to do with myself. I hate life, you know, like I would just be absolutely in a state of such sheer exhaustion that I couldn't enjoy the cities I was in. I couldn't, I just couldn't do anything. And so that really was a bit of a turning point for me in that 
when I book my travels now, I do try and go for Airbnbs and book long stays so that I get discounts in these Airbnbs and then Mm -hmm. compensate it with staying with friends um, elsewhere so that I can sort of book more expensive places where I travel. The very last time I stayed in a hostel uh, was in Bled in, um, where's Bled? Slovenia. Yeah, Bled in Slovenia. And I was staying in a, I think it was a four-bedroom dorm um, and it was a very big, it wasn't a party hostel, but, you know, it was full of Aussies. So there was a bit of a party atmosphere, but the, the dorms themselves, you know, they remained quiet throughout the night, except that I had one person after another, after another coming in who was snoring. And I actually spent my entire time in that hostel sleeping I had found a an abandoned uh stairway like an abandoned stairwell that was dusty as hell and they had put sort of all of the disused everything in this stairwell and there was some dusty rug and every night as soon as the snore started up I'd just pick up all my stuff I'd go into this stairwell I'd slip under the rug there and I'd fall asleep and I'd sleep a solid like four hours five hours and then in the morning I'd sneak back into bed and I felt like I felt great I was like this is this is fine like honestly put me in an abandoned stairwell rather than you know I just I just I just have one question have you heard of earplugs they don't work earplugs do not work against snoring people like what are you talking about you just need those awesome putty ones that like molding putty ones they do not work where have you been they work fine (laughs) tell you what they work against the screaming baby that's for sure because that's what I was doing in the early days uh I mean a those things tended to start falling out you know like it didn't matter how much you glued them into your ear they'd fall out if you've got someone who is sleeping on above you who's snoring the whole time it didn't matter like everyone in everyone in my dorm room would have earplugs and they would be like throwing stuff at the snorer (laughs) but I mean it also I am a highly sensitive person which means that my my senses are highly highly attuned to sound so you know I and that's become even more so in when I've hit my 30s. So I think that's another thing that sort of meant I can't really handle the hostel scene nearly as much. So mm. hostels are no longer really a thing that I do unless I just cannot afford any other option. If I return to Iceland, you know, I'd never be able to afford it. It cost me $60 for a 12-bedroom dorm in Iceland. So, you know. That feels yeah. expensive. Just a little, just a little, totally worth it, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I suppose at the other end of the spectrum there, we, on our Europe trip, there was four of us together. We splurged on a villa in Santorini that had its own private pool overlooking the canyon. Sorry, it had a private outdoor pool. It also had a pool in one of, in the master bedroom. Oh my God. It was insane, this crazy villa. And it was so nice. We only stayed there for I think it was three nights though, because money, it was expensive, mm. but that was the end of our trip. So we had done everything else. We, you know, we had done Airbnbs. We, we'd booked Airbnbs together throughout Europe, um, you know, overnight trains and things like that. So we weren't traveling in the height of luxury, but then at the end, we definitely splurged. When I'm on the road, I fantasize about being that com- person who can book the really stunning places you know like being that person and I've, I've been very 
very lucky. I remember um, I was in Tanzania and I was I was looking after my niece there while my aunt was working. And um, sort of as compensation for that, she booked me in, uh, a couple of nights. I wanted to go to Zanzibar and she booked me a couple of nights um, in the Hilton, I think it was. And that was just like fancy absolute luxury I didn't I mean we'll get on to this next but the way that I travel I felt very out of place rocking up in my little backpack and my my sort of very obvious backpackers clothing and everything at the this this Hilton but they of course were very uh, gracious hospitable. they ignored <laughs> your backpack and exactly your exactly um and it was absolutely it was heavenly to be able to, you know, walk in off the hectic streets into this, you know, paradise. Um, and then uh, fun fact for everyone here in Qatar, if you if you fly Qatar Airlines and you cannot get to your end destination without with a stopover of less than eight hours. So if you're traveling and you need to get to, you need a stopover in Doha, but the, the stopover is longer than eight hours, Qatar puts you up in a five-star hotel like no that's way a policy of theirs so obviously when I was coming back from Tanzania um which is a bit of a weird place to travel from Tanzania to Melbourne um the layover was almost a full day and so yeah they put me up in this hotel room and I just kept being like I kept being to the guy like is this is this really all included he's like yes it's all included like he was so happy for me and it was sort of overlooking the souk the markets and it was just the most incredible experience I've ever had so you know, from time to time, I get to enjoy the luxury life. And yeah, I mean, as someone who is highly, highly sensitive, prone to anxiety, prone to uh, insomnia, those types of accommodation are very aspirational. (laughs) Have you ever, have you ever flown business class? Have you ever been upgraded or had someone buy your business class? Never. No. I heard, I was told that actually it is if you're quite late. If you're quite late to booking in, that's when they they know for certain whether they've got business class seats available or not. And I am, again, such an anxious traveller that I'm normally an hour early. Like, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there waiting for check-in to open. So, yeah, if that is the case or alternatively, if it's, if it's the case that you have to dress a little bit more nicely, uh, neither one of those is going to get me access in because I do not dress nicely on planes. I don't understand people who do. No, you need to be comfortable. I get that. We were fortunate enough to be upgraded oh, for the first whatever. leg of our for the first leg of our honeymoon, which was amazing. Um, but it was good and it was also bad. So we had booked. So you know, we were on our version of a budget for the flights because we had spent a shit ton of money on the actual mm. honeymoon itself so we were spending I think it was a week or 10 days in New York over New Year's Eve no component of that sounds nice to me winter New Year's Eve <laughs> New York City it was the best <laughs> the best we had the best time I'm, I'm <sighs> not overly in love with that city I don't get the hype my favorite city in the world <laughs> so then we flew from the best city in the world to uh the Maldives and we stayed at a lovely resort there mm-hmm. uh so because we had spent so much money on 
the actual destination and accommodation, we did try to save some cash on the flights, but that meant that we had two 15 hour flights to get to New York in the first place. It was horrific. Well, when we arrived at the airport, they upgraded us for the first leg of our uh, flight to business class, which was lovely. Did you mention it was your honeymoon? Of course we did. And we were, we were super chatty with the lady at the, at the desk and really nice to her, but not in an obvious like upgrade us kind of way. We think we played it really well and then it worked. So um, it has not worked again since though, sadly. I wonder if I rock up with my great aunt's engagement ring and and tell them that I was left at the altar, but I want to go on the honeymoon anyway, whether they will take pity on me and grant me a seat in business. You, you never know. It's worth a try. <laughs> Continue. Uh, I just remember typical me being too shy to really take advantage of the amenities I suppose so I wasn't asking for drinks or food I was just kind of waiting for them Mm. to come around and you can ask for food at any time you can get booze at any time snacks I didn't do Mm. any of the things you should have done in business class but what I did do was lie down and sleep and it was the best honestly that's the only reason you go business class to be honest with you I think I would be just as ecstatic being promoted to business class as I would be if the two seats next to me were empty because either way you can lie down and fall asleep so you know totally totally. and I've had more than enough of those the problem was though we our stopover in I think it was in Doha was only quite short it was only a couple of hours so then we got back on I know. (laughs) And we got back on to the plane for the next 15 hour leg. And because I had slept for, I don't know, eight hours or whatever on the leg before I was wide awake for the entire 15 hours. And I had the worst cabin fever. I was up and down and walking Mm. around and I thought for sure I was going to get arrested because I just couldn't sit still. That was (laughs) the single worst flight of my entire life. (sighs) And it immediately followed the best flight of my entire life. So I'm actually not sure whether it was worth it or not I think you would definitely want to be upgraded for the second flight on any leg of a journey because you know absolutely you want to you want to rock up at your destination feeling fresh I actually don't even bother trying to sleep on flights I'm like well you know what the normally normally what I would try to do is I would try to time if I'm going to a place where I know that the time zone is drastically different like London I will attempt to um, coordinate it so that my flight arrives in the evening and then I will actually just try and stay awake the entire time the whole way to London I'll watch lots of movies um, when I get to airports I'll move around a little bit maybe try a one hour nap in the airport but not really put any pressure on myself but I will try and just actually stay awake so that by the time I get to London I'm so tired I pass out that first night sleep the whole night through and then the jet lag doesn't list, like exist mm. at all because I've, mm-hmm. I've sort of gotten into that mode first time around but um one thing that we haven't spoken about is uh, how much you take. Oh, oh no. So obviously, like we're sort of on the line of budget here. <laughs> so I have in the past been able to, and I could honestly do it if it was okay to bring certain things into the cabin, but obviously it's people are quite strict about what you can bring into the cabin now. So that makes things difficult, but I do love a carry-on bag and that's it. Oh, it is just goodness. being able to get off a flight and just go straight through without having to wait for your luggage is the most amazing feeling. 
Yeah, I can do that when I'm going to Sydney for a weekend, but anything longer than that or further away than that, it's not happening. There's see, checked bags. There's there's 25 kilos of checked bags. Oh my god! But person. see, as soon as as soon as there's checked bags, then it's taxis from the airport because you, I mean, lugging that stuff. I remember carrying a very heavy bag once when I was 21 around Paris with my mum, and we had to take turns carrying it because it was so heavy that I have I have managed to whittle it down to when I go to Bali I tend to take a carry-on um and that's it um for two months wow actually the last time uh it was three and a half uh months and it included Thailand and Singapore as well um and just a carry-on that's bananas yeah that included a wedding too so you know like uh it, I'm going to guess is, you didn't pack any makeup in that carry-on. There was no makeup at that wedding. I, I wore <laughs> like a, a play suit that was just bought from Cotton On and some crappy flats. I'm not even sure if I wore flats or if I just sort of wore thongs or something. Yeah, it was great. I was a, I was a, I was a little bit of a misfit at the wedding, but I'm all right with it. I got my way all the way to Singapore for it. So, you know. Yeah, I think they'd be grateful enough that you were there. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be too stressed about what you were wearing. Plus I was staying in a, a tiny, tiny little uh, one bedroom apartment. Like, I mean, one room apartment. Um, so literally it was just a bed, a little desk and a bathroom. Um, and now I'm pretty certain there were no mirrors, no hair dryers, <laughs> no, like there was nothing for me to preen myself anyway. So <laughs> Well, see, I when I when we arrived in Venice, I for sure wished that I'd only taken a carry-on because trying to wheel mm. between the two of us, I think we only had the two suitcases and a backpack each. But trying to wheel two suitcases and two backpacks, trying to get them from the train station in Venice to our Airbnb mm-hmm. where we stayed was just really not fun the cobblestones and the little bridges everywhere and it was hot and muggy Mm. and it had been raining but it was boiling mate that was that was really really not fun I didn't enjoy that so at that time yes I was wishing that I was able to uh, only have a carry-on but I am I would say I, I I can be a typical in air quotes woman sometimes in that I need outfit choices because it doesn't matter on the weather. It depends on my mood. What am I feeling that day? Am I having a fat day or a skinny day? Am I having a, I want to be noticed day or I want to blend in day. And then also the weather does come into play. So you need selections of outfits. I also don't want to be wearing the same outfit in every single photo around Europe. Yeah, but do you, do you I mean, there's so many outfits these days that are versatile that can be used for multiple purposes like I have two sort of shawls throw on shawls that can be turned into scarves like you just put the whole shawl through the sleeves and it's a scarf you can there are reversible (laughs) jackets there are like so many different ways that you can mix up. I have a, a black dress that I can just throw t-shirts over the top of and suddenly it's a t-shirt and a black skirt. Like easy. One thing I will say though is that as a slim person, it is a very different situation for you than it 
it was for me when I was much, much bigger. It is just, well, oh, this is a whole separate episode. But in terms of clothes, you have less choice. Things fit you completely differently. And it's it's just, it's a very, very big deal. Like getting dressed in the morning can totally set you up for the day or it can totally fuck up your whole day if if you aren't feeling yourself. I Which see, I suppose is true for anybody. But yeah, I mean, I see of- what you're saying, but I mean, my choice has only ever come down to comfort and that could be a chronic illness thing, but every item of clothing that I have, it's like, if I'm going to feel uncomfortable, if I'm going to bloat up one day, then that there's no point and that item of clothing makes me feel uncomfortable. There's no point in me packing that item of clothing. Like I do not pack items of clothing where I only have to be in certain moods to wear them. Totally. And, and, and I'm the opposite and that's just, I don't know. It's just how it is. It's, it just depends on what I feel like wearing that day. Cause it's, I don't know why or how, but the clothes that I choose or how I look on a day can affect my mood. It'll be things like, and this will be probably, this will make no sense to you or you think that I'm crazy, but if my hair is not working that day right if I'm having a shitty hair day I have to have a banging outfit on otherwise (laughs) I feel like crap for the whole day I'm in a shitty mood and I bring down everyone around me it's stupid it's a low self-esteem thing and I totally get that I 100% understand where you're coming from and you know I I have had men actually tell me that I should dress more nicely when I'm when I'm traveling but I just I don't care I don't honestly carry very much that makes my figure, makes makes me look nice in any way. But I suppose I mostly travel solo. I'm going to have fleeting encounters with the people I meet in the cities. Sometimes I meet a guy, but the fact is I only pay attention to a guy when they're paying attention to me. So if they start paying attention to me when I'm looking like an ogre, then I'm not going to bother suddenly dressing up for them. I'll just keep keep doing what I'm doing, you know? So for me personally, the it, it all just comes down to, I mean, any item of clothing is tossed if it doesn't match every item, every other item of clothing in my suitcase, my backpack, because I don't do suitcases. Totally. That's very sensible. And I wish that I could do that, but I can't. (laughs) I mean, let's be clear. I do make mistakes. And, you know, like um, the last time I was in Europe, I was there at the beginning of summer and uh, was still there towards as they were approaching winter. And I had to go and buy jumpers and that sort of thing. But I do have a rule that if I buy any item of clothing, I have to toss an item of clothing. Um, But it was great as well for my budget because it meant I also actually never bought anything nice. Whereas I will go out and specifically shop for new things to take with me on a trip. <laughs> it's it, yeah. And it's not just clothes, shoes. I'm really bad with how I pack shoes because mm. I want like my thongs, but then I also want a pair of runners because I'll do some kind of exercise. And then I need my walking around runners, not my exercise runners. I'm sorry. And then no, if wait, I'm what? Well, there's, there's runners that you can exercise in and runners that you just walk in. And then I also might need some dressy shoes if we're going out somewhere. So maybe some dressy flats. If it's a trip where we're likely to be going out after dinner to a bar, to a club or something, then there might be a pair of wedges or something as well. But wedges are very heavy. And then there's, see, this, I know this is horrifying you. This all comes back to 
you go traveling, I go on holidays generally. Yeah. So yeah. I like my last, my last trip was in 2019, um, just before I became pregnant with Hux. And, and we kind of knew it was a bucket list trip in, in that it was our last one without a kid. So what do we want to do? So we went to New Orleans um, for Mardi Gras, which was just so much fun. Um, oh, and prior to that, yeah, prior to that, we did a week or so in New York City again because we love it there. So that was our third visit there. Um, and that was our that was our sort of bucket list trip because we figured that's a party trip. That's not something that we can do once we have a kid. So I would still love to go on like a safari um, mm. somewhere in Africa. I would love to do that. That's a yeah. trip you can do with a kid when they're a little bit older. So we'll do that later. You did one as a kid, didn't you? Yeah, my family went when I was younger, but we were visiting an aunt who lived there. Well, yeah, one day. I also would really, really, really love to climb to Mount Everest Base Camp. So what? I'm we'll, sorry. That, what? We'll, we'll, like, we'll come back to that. Yeah, hundred percent. Yes. Okay. You don't know about my Everest obsession? No. Oh, I, I'm okay. just trying to pick. I mean, do you know what's involved in climbing? <laughs> no, I've got no idea. I just decided out of nowhere I wanted to do that. I mean, that would be hilarious. I've done the I've done the circular sort of flight around Everest. So the sort of private, yes. I think that was my 21st birthday present from my parents was a flight, um, a, a sort of a small plane flight to see Everest. So that would be amazing. This would just be the most beautiful twist of personalities. If I have seen Everest from a charter flight, and you are there with your backpack and you're at Everest Base. That's just the most, like, best plot twist ever. I can't believe I've blown your mind with that. Love it. <laughs> anyway, we'll see if I manage to ever get there, but I would love mm. to. Well, we've really definitely gone over time again. Always. Um, and I still feel like we haven't even really delved beneath the surface of, of sort of our travel differences <laughs> travel episode part two coming at you at some point in the future at some point absolutely in the meantime find us on instagram or facebook at still friends pod and if you would uh, like to drop a review for us um or you are enjoying listening to us please give us a shout out to your friends or wherever and spread the word bye everybody bye.